Hello, everyone. Thank you for joining us. My name is Daryl Urbanski, your host as always. And today we are joined by Nicole Mixdorf, a beacon of inspiration and wellness. Nicole is the chief wholeness officer of Balance by Nature and a number one international best-selling author. Recognized as a top 100 healthcare leader and the most influential women in corporate wellness services, Nicole's journey began in the corporate world where she climbed the ranks until stress took a toll on her health. This led her to establish Balance by Nature in 2012, aiming to inspire professionals to find balance and thrive. Her company hailed in 2023 as the best corporate focused health and well-being company in California offers holistic solutions for employee wellness. Nicole's dynamic approach to work-life balance, productivity, and employee wellness makes her a sought-after keynote speaker. Her passion and dedication shine through, making her a true embodiment of wellness and balance. I've asked her to join us here today to share her story and help us all do more while staying balanced. So, Nicole, thank you so much for joining us. How are you? Thank you so much for having me. It's an absolute pleasure to be here with you. Yeah, I know. We're having some good laughs. Before, I was like, she said, is this going to be video? And I was like, yeah, don't worry. Not always. Some of you might be listening in audio, but I was like, you look great. The background's great. Don't worry. And she, I don't stress, bro. She said, I don't know if you know what I do, but I don't stress. That was great. Yeah, the <laughs> wink, the wink. So now before we get into what, what you're about, what you've done, how you help people, how did you even get started? It's not like, obviously you ventured off and created your own thing, your own business. Do you yeah. come from a family of entrepreneurs? I actually do. Yeah. So my dad was an entrepreneur. Okay. He had his own business forever. So I definitely grew up with that as a model to follow, mm -hmm. certainly. So I think that background, and I worked in my family's business for a minute. So that experience, I think, definitely gave me the framework to know that it was always a possibility to do this at some point in my journey. Expecting it, I certainly hadn't planned to start my business when I actually did. Yeah, it's Entrepreneurship is certainly in my blood. Got it. So walk us through your journey. You're helping run the family business. Then you go to school, you graduate school, and then you get a court. How did, what happened next? Did you start your first business? What was your first, was it just family work, corporate own business? Was there another business in there? Walk us through your journey a little bit. Yeah, you know, when I left school, I actually started in the corporate side. My very first job was at Enterprise Rent-A-Car doing their management training program. <laughs> Boy, mm. this is taking me back a little minute, but it was great training. It was intense because it was 50, 60 hour weeks and oh, wearing yeah. a suit and heels all day, that kind of thing. And I did that for a couple of years and got great management training from there. But then after that is when I went to go work in the family business, which mm. was a completely different environment. I got to wear shorts and flip-flops to work. So that was <laughs> from uh, way better. Up my heels and, and the suits. So that was yeah. nice. Um, yeah. And I did it for a while. It really, it wasn't for me to do in the long term. It wasn't my passion. I love spending time with my family, but it wasn't my calling. And then I had this really amazing opportunity to start working in the travel industry. And mm. I was just, I had lived abroad when I was in college and I love travel. So I, my background was in sales and mm. it was a corporate sales role working for a big international travel agency. And I thought this sounds like a great fit. 
And it was a lot of fun. It was just mm. a great company. I got to travel all over the world. I led a big international sales team, did all the sales training for the staff and organized the conferences. I went out and won my own corporate clients. I had to manage those corporate clients and manage my team. So it was a lot of fun, but it was also intense because I was mm. doing four roles in the time to do one, which right. I'm sure a lot of people can relate to having a lot on their workload. And for a long time, it was fine. But then my dad got sick with cancer. And when that happened, and I suddenly didn't just have all the stress at work, now I had all the stress at home too. All that stress started hitting me from all sides and it made me sick. So for me, that manifested in my digestive system, in my immune system, and I developed a nasty condition called ulcerative colitis, which causes bleeding intestinal ulcers. Sounds and like man, let me tell you, when you don't feel good, it makes yeah. every life so much harder. Yeah. Yeah. Health, health is wealth. hundred percent. I think especially after through the pandemic, a lot of people realize that we all start, need to start prioritizing your health. I want to, I want to let you continue, but I want to pause for a minute because you mentioned corporate sales and managing a sales team and even sales training. So, yeah. what, I mean, that in itself is a immensely high pressure role. Oh yeah. Itself. So first off for the listeners that are listening two things, how is corporate sales different than maybe non-corporate sales? And in terms of managing a team, can you speak to those experiences a little bit and some of the lessons you learned? Yeah, you know, sales is different depending on what type of sales you do. Throughout high school, I did retail sales where I was selling products in a store. And then this was completely different where I was building relationships and having to network and cold call and do a lot of outreach, going in to make presentations to CFOs and different C-level executives, higher level presentations. A lot of the when I was doing corporate travel sales, a lot of the programs we were offering, a small client to us at the time was maybe $100,000, $200,000. That was a small client. A lot of the deals I was working on were like a million dollars. It could be even more. Ultimately, I won over $50 million worth of business for that oh, company. Oh, that's fantastic. Uh, yeah. So I was really successful in that role. The one thing I think that... Is, is consistent regardless of what kind of sales that you're doing. If you want to be successful with it, you have to be representing a product or a service or a solution that you believe in. Because ultimately, if you really feel that you are serving, you're serving your customer, you're providing them value, you're providing a solution to a problem that they're having, then it doesn't really feel like you're selling something. If you're representing something that you're not aligned with, that you don't really like the product or the service, it's it doesn't resonate with you, that's going to come across. With sales, it's really important if you want to be successful to make sure, number one, that it's, an, it's a company that you really like their values. And number two, that it's a product or a service that you feel good about wanting to represent and be the face of. So that's the first thing. And then beyond that, really, it's about selling yourself. Truly, mm. I think the reason why I've been successful in every single sales role I've been in is because I'm selling myself <laughs> more than anything. It's about selling that relationship and it's that connection that you're making with somebody. Mm -hmm. And when people like me and when people connect with me and connect with my energy and they feel my enthusiasm, they feel my passion for whatever it is that I'm sharing about, I get them excited. 
and it makes them want to work with me. And mm. I could be selling travel or I could be selling snow cones. As long as it's something that they have a need for, they're a lot more likely to say yes to me if they, if I've built a good rapport with them and if they like me. So that was one thing that's always been at the forefront, I think. Mm. My success is just really sharing that that positive connection with yeah. the people that I'm meeting with. I love that. So just to recap for listeners, first off, you said first, you have to really identify a problem they're having. They really have to need the solution. You have to believe in it. And you really talked about building relationships. So that way there's a mutual liking. And I also wrote down that networking, cold calling, building relationships, and then making presentations. And all of this has to happen, facilitate around a specific problem and a need that they have. And if you don't have, they don't have the problem, they don't have a need, you're really just wasting your time. So almost the first thing you need to do is make sure that they have that problem, that they have that need. Yeah. And I think that's a great first step. Now, how does, you talk about selling yourself. How does that work when you're managing a sales team? You, they are not you. And that's a whole new set of challenges. You speak to that a little bit. Yeah. It's really interesting because when you're managing people, you're just managing a lot of personalities and you're also managing the challenges that they're having, the issues that they bring to the table, et cetera. And what you want to do is just coax the best out of people. There, as a sales trainer, certainly there are skills that I can teach people. There are processes that I can guide you through and coach you through and teach you how to say something more smoothly or better or in a different way. that's going to land more impactfully, that type of thing. But there's a certain kind of it factor that you can't really teach people. And that as a sales manager, that was something I would look for Mm. when I was hiring. So as a hiring manager, I wanted to see your drive. I wanted to see how hungry you are. I wanted to see, do you go above and beyond even in the hiring process to get my attention? So if I, I hired somebody, I'll never forget this gal. She reached out to me so many times. She followed up and followed up. She sent me like letters, all this kind of thing, which was so cool. It reminded me of me. When I had my interview for that travel company position, I actually, the role was for a lower level position than I ultimately got. I wound up getting a higher <laughs> level position. But I think part of the reason why was at the end of the first interview, He said to me, okay, all this sounds great. He's yeah, we've got a few other people that we're going to interview as well, but maybe if you want to put together like a couple of ideas, perhaps of who you might want to target as potential clients, send that over to me. And I said, okay, so what did I do? I did just write it and send him a couple of ideas. I wrote a six page business plan that I sent him like super well thought out of all these different industries. I researched and looked up all these different companies and who I would reach out to and da, da, da. And that's what I delivered. He was so blown away by that extra effort that I showed Mm -hmm. that that really impressed him. And he went, Oh, there's actually a different role that I think you would be better suited for. And then I wound up getting that role instead. So I guess the big part of it, especially if you're doing sales, it's going above and beyond because truly you're selling yourself when you're trying to interview and get a job. That's it. So when I'm interviewing salespeople, I want to see, are they trying to sell me? You know, Mm, what are they mm, doing mm, to try to mm. pitch themselves to me? Because if they're not making the effort when they're trying to pitch themselves to me, I can't imagine they're going to make the effort when they're trying to pitch the service to somebody else. I love that. I love that. And a lot of what you're saying is fitting into the research that we've done. I may or may not have mentioned to you, we spent a lot of my listeners know 
we spent a lot of money diving into what are the critical success factors for small and medium-sized businesses. And we found eight. And one of those is sales strategy and skill. And depending on the strategy, the skill level is different. McDonald's uses impulse level price points. And right. part of their strategy was putting a kid's playground in the restaurant. So that was, right. the, so the skill was really just order taking. It's an impulse level price point. And right. the mom just wants to sit down and relax and the kids to be somewhere safe. And so that's exactly. the strategy. But if you do require sales, some of the personality dimensions that we uncovered that were really important was assertiveness, emotional stability, likability, a will to achieve and an openness to experience. And that was something that you said, yeah. I want to know that they've got drive, that they have a hunger. It was just yeah. different language, but the same sort of thing. And then I love kind of everything that you said. Now, what are some of the KPIs or goals that you think are most important in managing a sales team? In managing the team, the team are going to have their own KPIs about how many contacts do they need to reach out to on a daily basis, right? How many phone calls are they having? How many appointments are they doing? What are the wins that you want to have every single month, et cetera? So it's really a formula that you work backwards from. So how much money do you want to make? How much commission does that really turn out to be? So how many sales do you need to do? And if your conversion rate is X, how many meetings does that mean you need to do? If, you know, if, if you're doing cold calling, like how many of those cold outreach calls does it take to get to an appointment? So you can figure out what those KPIs are um, for the individuals. And then you just need to stay on top of your team to see that they're, you need to have a system, first of all, that they're tracking things in so that you can mm -hmm. see what they're doing. Certainly the results are the results. Right, so you've got right. people that are much better at it than others. Some people, their conversion rate is just way higher and they're going to work a lot less and that's okay. And other people, they have to put in more legwork into getting it done to get that result. And that's okay too. There's just a lot of different, a lot of different approaches and strategies and methods that people have, but ultimately you need to make sure that people are on track with hitting their goals because they want to make a certain amount of money too. And that's part of my own KPIs, right? Is to make right. sure that my team is on target. Right. And then it's training in and coaching people on the areas that they need some additional support or how can you take them to the next level of success? I love that. And for those that missed it, she really talked about beginning with the end in mind. So you start off with a revenue goal and breaking it down into all the micro steps. And I think this is really important. So, you know, how much money do you want to make? Okay. How many sales is that to make that in commissions? How many meetings does that mean you need to have to get that money in sales? A couple of different scenario planning. And that means how many people do you have to connect with those many people? How many calls? How much networking do you have to do? And just reverse engineering that, which I think is incredibly powerful. Now, let's go back to your story here. So you're managing the sales team in that. You're starting to have physical ailments manifesting as a result of a, they say worry will give you an ulcer. I, I actually don't know. This is, I'm going to shut up in a second, but this side, I think I may have spent a summer with Jim Rohn. I really don't know. I was 17 and I worked at this hockey camp and this guy was there and he was like a motivational guy. And he had these great little workshops that he did. And I was like the team lead for the hockey team up Swiss Swiss because the kids came from all over the world for this summer hockey summer camp. And we would go and part of our day, all the different physical training, skill training, all this, we go sit in this guy's room and he would just talk. And he was just an older man, well-spoken, really gentle and he taught me like emotion, emotion, energy in motion, like worry will give you an ulcer, as they say. Yeah, which is what led me to go on that little side tangent. And I really don't know who the guy's name was. I keep wanting to figure it out and track it down because I feel like nobody knows Jim Rohn is the godfather of personal development. He was Tony Robbins coach. Tony Robbins at 17 
It was like an intern with him. And anyways, but I digress. Energy in motion. You've got so much happening, so much stress, family concerns. You're now manifesting issues in your intestines. What happens next? I think at the time I didn't know what else to do. So I just kept going (laughs) and popped a few pills and hoped the problem would just go away. That just wasn't sustainable. And after about a year of just trying to force my way through that health condition really degraded to the point that it really started impacting my ability to lead a meeting and do my job and really affecting my quality of life. And I finally just succumbed to my doctor's requests, which he'd been begging me for months to take time off work. I just, I had so many responsibilities on my plate. And I think when you buy into the busyness of things and, oh my gosh, I'm jumping on airplanes every other week. And it makes you feel like big and important that I have all this stuff to do. Mm -hmm. It's like you just stop prioritizing yourself. And I couldn't do that anymore. And I finally did take some time off work. Mm -hmm. And when I did remove a large source of stress from my life and I started focusing more on self-care, my symptoms started to disappear. And that was a huge awakening moment for me because I realized that you could have the healthy lifestyle of proper exercise and nutrition, which I'd always had. But if you have this chronic stress in your life, all the rest doesn't even matter. Mm, And my mm. story wasn't unique at all because all my colleagues were suffering from too much stress also. We had one of those offices and we had a lot of fun. Don't get me wrong. It was an Aussie company that had this work hard, party hard culture. It was great, but it was also super stressful. Like you'd walk Mm. in the room and you could feel the stress. It was like palpable, especially Because like, you're only as good as your last month. There was a lot of pressure to perform constantly. For some people that stress started manifesting for me in the digestion. For other people, it's the migraines. For some people, it's insomnia, anxiety, depression, waking, autoimmune conditions, et cetera. And the truth is it wasn't even unique to our office because all my corporate clients that I would go visit at their offices had the same problems too. It was the same issue everywhere. And I realized, gosh, people everywhere are suffering and they don't even realize that stress is really the underlying culprit that's causing these symptoms in their lives. So that's what inspired me to leave my corporate career behind and start this corporate wellness company because I wanted to inspire other busy professionals to create balance and heal their bodies so they could thrive. You just put out your shingle and it was instant success and it's been fame and fortune ever since. Is that... (laughs) I wish I could say it was like that. Having a background in corporate sales definitely gave me the confidence to jump ship because I figured, oh, it's the same skill set that I've been using. Just instead of selling corporate wellness, I'm selling corporate travel. Instead of selling corporate travel, I'm selling corporate wellness. But the thing was, I was doing something new and I didn't have somebody initially training me on who is the right decision maker that I should be reaching out to and what are the right pain points that I should really be focusing on and what is the right price point that I should market my services at and what services should I even offer beyond corporate yoga, which is really how my company started. Uh, Mm. So there's a lot of things that I had to figure out as I went along and And I think I was expecting things to just hit like immediately. It definitely took a little longer than I had expected that it would. It all wound up coming together definitely in a really beautiful way. And now I've been doing this almost 11 years. So fantastic. Reflecting on what you've done, what would you recommend to anybody that's listening that maybe is starting out or struggling? say for anybody that wants to start a business, definitely create your plan before you leave your corporate job. 
I wasn't planning to start my business when I did. When I Mm -hmm. took that leave of absence, that's like when the idea sparked for me. And I thought, oh, this is really what I want to do. But I couldn't really see the way forward. It's not like I had a business plan all figured out. It's not like I had this all organized. But I knew that the time that if I went back to my job that I was in, I'd be walking right back into the same exact circumstances that Mm -hmm. made me. And Mm -hmm. I had made so much progress with my health that I really didn't want to do that. So that was a big driving factor. But leaving my lucrative corporate career was terrifying, really scary between my husband and I had the higher income at the time. And so that was really not an easy decision. I really Mm. sat with that for quite a long time. And it's actually a cool story. I'll share with you the reason why I actually decided to take the leap was I went for a walk in my neighborhood and I used to have this little old neighbor named Jack. He was 92 years old at the time. He has since passed, but he used to sit out front of his house and wait for people to walk by. And that day I just went for a walk and he had no idea what was going on in my life. No idea that I was at this crossroads trying to figure out what to do. And for whatever reason, God put him on my path that day. And he looked at me straight in the eye and he said, in all my years, the one thing that I've learned is that if there's something you want to do it now, don't wait because opportunities won't last forever. And one day you'll be standing here like an old man looking back at your life and thinking about the things that you did do and thinking about the things that you didn't do. So if there's something you want to do it now. I love that. And I was like, I still get the chills, like thinking about it. And it was like a message that I was waiting for. And it was like, it just took my breath away. I literally turned around on the spot. I marched back into my house. I went through the door and I said to my husband, that's it. Quitting my job and I'm starting this business. And and I just dove in, but I didn't have anything planned. So it took longer to just hit the ground running because I was starting from like literally like zero circumstance that was warranted because I was sick and I didn't want to go back into that scenario that made me sick. But if I had it to do over again, I certainly would probably flesh out some of those plans to start with, get some things like going so that when I'm ready to really start, at least I've got a lot of the groundwork kind of done or I can hit the ground running like when I start. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's important. I agree a hundred percent. Two things I want to say. One, Elon Musk did $300 million reselling a product. He had no factory or team to make. I think that is an important thing. He got out there and he sold it, but he did come up with a plan and a minimum viable product first. And so I think that almost speaking to what you said, like I didn't know what to do and that requires some research and talking to people. So just as a recap to that, the next thing I want to mention, because you said that one man and he talked about regrets. I actually have something I look at on a regular basis. It's a picture I took of a clipping my dad took of the local newspaper. And it's just a headline, a sentence and five bullets. And it's called top regrets of the dying. And it says, after years in palliative care, nurse Bronnie Ware put together this shortened list. There's five regrets. One, I wish I had the courage to live a life true to myself, not the life others expected of me. I wish I hadn't worked so hard. I wish I had the courage to express my feelings. I wish I had stayed in touch with my friends and I wish that I had let myself be happier. I look at that. I'd probably say on and off, maybe once every month, every quarter, definitely a few times a year. 
And if I ever feel like any of those, I'm like, mm, then I know I yeah. need to adjust something, do something different. Yeah. Um, and that's so powerful because you know what? We're all going to die anyways, right? Yeah, I don't know. Spoiler sure. alert. None of us here. <laughs> I know there's promises. All of us. <laughs> yeah, yeah. There's promises of AI, but those are just promises right now. It's not here. We can all hope. And people have been chasing yeah. immortality forever. So yeah. hope for the best, plan for the worst. So you decided to get jump started. You figured it out. You started off, sounds like corporate yoga. And then you, what happened then? You decided that wasn't it. And what did you transition into or what, what really became your flagship? It's so funny that you brought up the story of Elon Musk, because I could totally relate to this in so many ways. It was the very first meeting that I went to and I had been teaching yoga on the side for a while. And I thought, oh, everyone needs corporate yoga. You got the fitness, there's the movement, there's the breath work, it's stress reduction, it's calming. It's great. All these companies need this. So I presented this to this company and the guys, yoga, that's great. What else do you offer? And I sat there and I'm like, what else do you need? <laughs> <laughs> what else are you willing to pay for? Exactly. And it was so interesting because it was like at that moment that I got inspired and I realized I can sell things that I don't provide myself. Mm. Because I'm not a nutritionist doesn't mean I can't sell nutrition services. I can bring a nutritionist in. I can sell like all kinds of stuff. So I started with this leveraged business model right from the get-go. And I started out by connecting with like my network to find out who does what and who could I bring in to do different things. And then I just started offering it to companies. And I would just say, okay, I've got all these different services and the second some, and but what are you interested in? And then they would say, oh, this sounds interesting. Let's try a Zumba class or let's do this. And then I'd be like, okay. And I would reach out and I'd find some somebody who could teach Zumba. It's like, I didn't have all of the things figured out, but I had the idea. So I definitely sold the idea. And then once I had a company that wanted to bite on it, then I found all the people that I needed to fulfill those contracts. That's fantastic. That's so fantastic. And that sounds like it evolved into where you became now you had formalized packages. And then obviously, because to get the notoriety that you have and be recognized for the accomplishments you have, Sounds like a polishing, almost like a gemstone. If anyone's ever heard or used a rock tumbler, you put in a rock and you let it tumble for <laughs> days. And what comes out at the end is this, almost like your necklace here, these beautiful little gems, right? And things. So it sounds, am I wrong? Is that fairly accurate to say that? You know, our services have expanded and expanded so much in this last decade. Initially, it started out just with these fitness programs and some stress reduction. We Then I remember we added in meditation and I was like, I don't know if companies are going to go for meditation. And now I look at it, it's so mainstream, right? It's just so funny. Mm -hmm. 10 years ago, the mentality was so different in this industry. But then we started adding more. I started teaching a lot. I started speaking a lot and teaching a lot of different personal development master classes. We started bringing in, I wish I could tell you my healing journey like ended at that moment, like at the beginning of my business, but that's not how my story goes. Every time I was experiencing stress in my life, like it would flare back up on me. And then after I was having, getting pregnant and having babies, it flared up every single time after those pregnancies. And I had two kids and three miscarriages. So five pregnancies in six years. And it was just, it was a lot of healing that I had to go through. And at one point I went through an experience where Western medication just wasn't doing it for me anymore. Right. It didn't solve what I needed. And the doctors had more answers for me. And I said, you know what, this isn't going to be my story. So mm. I 
that I was going to heal myself. I said, I'm connected to this wide network of wellness practitioners. I'm going to find my healing. That took me on a journey to 14 different holistic healers and healing modalities. And I wound up experiencing some powerful miracles with health and healing and working with some incredible healers. And what that experience showed me is that there's so many different ways to heal the body. Mm -hmm. And most people don't even know that these different modalities exist. Mm -hmm. And that to me just didn't sit right. And I said, you know what? Like people need to know about this. So then I started incorporating a lot of holistic healing modalities into our corporate mm -hmm. wellness programming too, because I wanted to introduce the masses to Reiki healing and sound healing and energy healing and things that 10 years ago, if you told me that I would be offering this kind of stuff to companies, I never would have believed you. And yet here I am working with these huge, amazing global brands and they trust me and we integrate these in and people love it and they mm. absolutely love it. And then when now I'm teaching on the power of forgiveness, mm. if you told me that I would be teaching masterclasses on forgiveness to corporate clients, I wouldn't have believed that either. And yet that was the most popular of all of the sessions for last year was the wow. one on forgiveness. forgiveness. Yeah. That's a lot. It was so interesting. I remember an HR benefits manager was telling me that after going through that, that whole workshop with her, that she was finally able to release decades worth of resentment that she had yeah. been carrying. Life. Oh, what baggage to carry with you. It's what a burden. Such a burden. Such yeah. a burden. And it's like, you just feel liberated after that. So yeah, there's so many things that we teach. And now our programming is completely evolved. We're actually pioneering a shift from corporate wellness and well-being into corporate wholeness, where our program is focusing on the whole employee. And so we have these 10 pillars of wholeness that make up all the different aspects of our lives. So it's like your personal wholeness, which is your interests, your hobbies, your personal development, your self-care, like travel, education, the things that you do for you, right? Mm -hmm. That's your personal wholeness. But then you have your mental wholeness. You have your physical wholeness. You've got social wholeness, which is your relationships, right? Like your romance and parenting and friends and family, colleagues, et cetera. But you have your financial wholeness which is like your relationship with money. It's certainly things like financial planning and budgeting, but it's like the energy of like your story, old stories around money. How can we shift that? You have your professional wholeness. You have your energetic wholeness, which is like your energy level, your vitality. It's the energy you put out. It's the energy you allow in. It's your motivation, your drive, et cetera. You have your environmental wholeness, which are the spaces we occupy. That's like your home, your office, your neighborhood, your community, the planet, how can we be of service? How can we live more sustainably, et cetera? And then we have our emotional wholeness. And that's really about your emotional state, how you can release emotions, release all pain and anger, tap into forgiveness, transcend grief, et cetera, so that you can feel better. And then finally, you get to your spiritual wholeness. Mm -hmm. And that's your connection within. That's tapping into your purpose, your vision, your faith, your intuition, et cetera. So what we're doing is we're guiding our employees, and we're actually going to open this to the public too, we're guiding people to bring these different pillars of wholeness back into alignment. Because mm. the truth is when any one of them is getting neglected, you're not giving it enough attention in that area of your life. Or if it has too much stress associated with it, life gets pulled out of balance. Oh, yeah. You know, when I'm dealing with my health issue, I didn't feel whole. That right. was my 
physical pillar of wholeness, but guess what? It could have been a financial crisis I was going through. It could have been that I lost my job. It could have been that I, a marriage was falling apart. Any crisis that you go through, but right. which pillar is it affecting? But the truth is, it starts impacting the other pillars too. And so it's like your marriage could be falling apart and that's your social wholeness right there. But guess what? That's going to start affecting your mental wholeness, your emotional wholeness as well. And if that goes unchecked, it could turn into a health problem. And now that's affecting your physical health pillar as well. So the thing to do when you're out of balance is to identify which area of my life, which pillar of wholeness is being impacted and which ones are being affected by that too. And you need to intentionally put energy into strengthening those other pillars so it can mm. hold you up while you're dealing with the challenge that's in front of you. Because the personal wholeness pillar, which are your interests and your hobbies, the things you do for fun, your self-care, your personal development, that's the first one to go when people get stressed. Right. Oh yeah. That just that goes out the busy. window. They're, yep. they're too busy, they're too stressed, etc. But that's actually how you bring balance back into your life. Yep. If you the balance is about equilibrium, right? So being here at equilibrium, if you're up here with all these stressful moments all day long, the only way to find that equilibrium is by giving yourself enough joy, enough joy and enough like quiet nurturing moments in your day. Yeah. So it's imperative that you lean into fun during those yeah. times, which kind of feels counterintuitive because you're just like going through a hard time and it's like you're not wanting to go do fun things but that's when it's even more important, more important. yeah more important. So what is that hobby that you love to do or what is that self-care practice that makes you feel good how can you fill your cup back up what yeah. are some things you can do for you because that's how you like build your energy back up right? <laughs> because otherwise you're just completely depleted and yep. then that just further amplifies the whole thing. Yeah. So I'm really passionate about balance. I hate it when people talk about work-life balance because work is only one of the 10 pillars of wholeness. Mm -hmm. So it's innately flawed, right? Because you're just trying to create balance with this one pillar of your life. You're like, I don't know what we yeah. need to yeah. focus on life balance. Life, life balance. Yeah, yeah. I, I agree wholeheartedly. It sounds almost very full circle for me in the sense of, in 4,000 years of medicine, 2000 BC, they used to be like, here, eat this root. And then yeah. before it was like, wait, forget that root, say this prayer. And then it wasn't that prayer. It was drink this potion. And then it was that potion, snake oil, take this pill. And then it was like, that pill doesn't work. Take this antibiotic. And now we're like, those antibiotics are poison. Here, eat this root. Just make sure it's yeah. organic. And it's done this full <laughs> circle thing. And that's what I hear. I hear almost like a modern version of the old in, uh, native uh, Native American, Native Indian medicine wheel was mind, body, soul, emotions. And that yeah. that doesn't incorporate our civilized world where now we also have taken account finances, which I really like from that. The whole concept was the same is that if you're not in balance of those, any yeah. of them is going to, you're only as strong as the weakest link. I think yeah. I mentioned, I don't even know if I mentioned on this call, but our research we did in the eight critical success factors for business success, one of them is self-efficacy. And there's personality characteristics that you have to demonstrate. There are certain skills that you need, but you also need to take care of yourself, like your personal, your physical health, your mental health. Those things are so important because as everybody knows, if you're not, well, everything stops. It's Your health isn't a priority until you have to go to the hospital. And now everything stops. Oh, and yeah. songs that you're talking about, you have to fill your cup while you're full. It's like a, a seesaw type thing that, yeah. you know, yeah. And almost your body also tells you work that you should be doing versus shouldn't be doing. Yeah. Like I shouldn't be doing this because it's making me sick. Body's trying to tell me something. Yeah. 
Totally. And people ignore the signs that their body is giving them all the time. And it's, you know what, having a stomach ache every day isn't normal. It's not normal. Having a headache every day, that's not normal. You know what I mean? If you can't fall asleep for an hour and a half, like when you're tossing and turning your bed, that's not normal, mm. right? We just put up with these kinds of things. We're not listening to our bodies. And the thing is, when you don't pay attention, it's only going to get louder and louder and more and more in your face until yeah. you're literally in the hospital. So yeah. you don't wait until that, that it gets to that point. Pay attention. Awareness is everything. It is. Everything. Yeah, yeah. yeah, I agree. When I was a kid, I saw this movie Groundhog Day in it. This guy gets stuck living the same, like one, he's just a shitty guy. He's got like poor character. People tend to find him abrasive. He just wants, somehow gets trapped. He just wakes up one day and he's reliving the day he just had. And he's, that is so weird. And he goes to sleep, wakes up again, having the day that he just had, that was the day that he just had. And he's caught in this time loop and he just is stuck there. And the movie's about him being stuck there and trying all these ways to get out of it, but he just can't escape reliving this day. And so he just submits to it and he just decides, I guess he doesn't outright say it, but he just decides if I have to live the same day, it's going to be the best day ever. And all of a sudden he's like a blessing to the community and he's developed these skills and he's playing the piano and people are gathering around singing and he's helpful. He knows to go help this lady so she doesn't get hit by the car. And this cat is over here and he just does these things. And all of a sudden he wakes up to the next day, all of a sudden when he's worked on himself. And what I took from that, I was like, what day do I have to live every day? So if I live that same day for 80 years, I'd like who I became and where I ended up. And some of you talk about life balance. I've always thought I would rather work six days a week than five if it meant that I had more balance because then I can live this day more sustainably. And then I've got one day for whatever. If it was six days on, one day off was good enough for God. It's good enough for me. I'm spiritual, not religious, but hey, why not? So I just love what you're saying in terms of life balance, not just work-life balance. Yeah. Now, where do you think the future of this is going? Because we still live in a highly competitive world. It's sure. getting more competitive. Technology is pushing the pace, pushing, pushing us forward. Where do you see things going in five, 10 years in terms of life balance and maintaining life balance while still being competitive, while still being at the forefront of your industry, your career? I think that's, it's a big part of my purpose, right? So my purpose in this life is to inspire people to believe in themselves and to heal from within and reclaim their wholeness and their power to live their best expression of life. And the way that we do this, right, is by being really intentional with all the things that you want to do. What is your vision? What are you trying to do? Yes, I be intentional about wanting to create and be successful and do all the things, right? But do it not at your own detriment. There's a certain part of needing to find that balance between getting really excited about all these developments and things that are happening and things are moving so fast and the pace is getting faster and faster. It's like you have to be even more intentional now about slowing that down at different times for yourself so that you can create that balance. And the truth is the balance looks very different for everybody. I'm a night owl. I always have been a night owl. I am way more awake and like inspired and creative, like later in the evening than I am in the morning. Like I am slow in the morning. That is not the time that I like working on big things. I just don't. And so it's like, I've structured my own day and granted I'm an entrepreneur. So I have the flexibility on my own boss to design my day to be what I want it to be. But so like, I get a lot of quiet time. I get a lot of like 
moment to myself to do my daily practice in the morning. And I don't mind working a little bit later because Mm. that's like when I'm way more productive. Mm. So something that would take me two hours to do in the morning is only going to take me an hour to do later in the evening. So I would think part of it is like knowing how your own, how you're wired and like when right time of the day, you know, that you are most awake and alive and inspired and creative and focus on your big projects and tasks at that time. If you've got kids and one of your priorities is that you want to see them grow up, then make that a priority in your life. What time do they get off school? If you want to be able to spend some time with your kid and say, I want to spend 30 minutes of playtime every day, like playing with my child. Awesome. So I always tell people when you're structuring your day, because I have this whole masterclass I teach on structuring your day for success. But one of the things that I love to teach is that you should only focus on having three things that you're going to focus on professionally today and three things you're going to focus on personally today. Mm. Three goals professional and personal goals. And they're equally important. Your personal goals are even more important than your professional goals. Okay. So my personal goals for the day, it could be that I want to make sure that I carve out half an hour at least to play with each of my kids. I want to make sure I go for a walk today, or maybe it's, I want to call my mom today, or I want to take a bath, or I want to go meet up with a friend or whatever that is for my personal wholeness. Mm-hmm. Those are those goals. And then for your professional, it's okay. We all have these massive to-do lists, right? Mm-hmm. That are ending. Yes. And so many people get caught up in this really nasty cycle where it's like, they've worked all day, they put in a lot of hard work, but at the end of the day, they still feel like they're drowning because Mm, they can't mm, catch up. mm, There's just more to do and more to do and more to do. Okay, this is a mindset shift. So instead of working off your massive long to-do list so that you're feeling overwhelmed, instead, what I do is like on Sunday night, I look at, I write down everything that needs to get done. I actually do it on Friday afternoon at the end of my work week, but because it's like fresh in my mind. But I take that out on Sunday and I've got this huge old long list of everything that needs to get done that week, like every project, all the tasks, all the things. And then for Monday, I pick three. What three big tasks or projects am I going to focus on Monday? And I look at my schedule and I figure out when my meetings are and where's those little blocks of space in between. I've got an hour here. I've got two hours here. I got 30 minutes here. How long is this project going to take me? Two hours. Great. I'm going to slot that right in there. How long is this going to take an hour? I'm going to put that right there. How long is this going to take 30 minutes? I'm going to drop that right in there. And so I block that time off in my calendar in between my meetings so that I'm super intentional about exactly mm. what I've done. And when I'm focusing on just those things, like everything else is off. I'm not multitasking at that time. I'm right, just right. my whole attention to just focusing on those particular pieces so that at the end of my workday, if I knocked out those three projects that I set out to do, I get to finish the day feeling good. Yep. I get to give myself a pat on the back and go, good job, Nicole. You nailed it today. Because guess yeah. what? Three things may not sound like a lot, but I get to do three more tomorrow. And That's I get right. to do three more the next day. And if I do that every day this week, I've knocked 15 things off my to-do list. That's right. That's right. That's really powerful. What I'm hearing you say is that hard work is not enough. And that it's not just time management, it's also energy management. I think that's a really important thing because you can schedule something important at a time. I'm useless at two in the afternoon. I'm up at 4 a.m. I'm the opposite. I'm up at 4 a.m. I wake up like a bolt of lightning every day. It's I feel like Thor. It's like thunderbolt hits me. I'm awake. Boom, I hit the ground running. 
and I yes. do the most powerful stuff I can get done before noon. And then I am yes. just useless from one yeah. to three in the afternoon. I can do meetings yeah. and all that. So it's working hard is not enough because everybody can work hard. So you have to work smarter. And so that also means having leverage and you alluded to some of it. And I just want to expand on people that haven't thought about this, that you have to work hard, but you also have to work smart. And that means you have to leverage. And the ways you leverage yourself are with people, with teams. That's a way to get leverage, right? You can also leverage yourself with money. So those are the old form. I got this from Naval. He's uh, out of Silicon Valley. He's had 70 successful ex exits. 10 of them were unicorn, billion dollar companies. Wow. He talks about how the old school leverage was people and money. Either you had a lot of people to help you get things done, or you had money to pay for things to get people done. But now we live in an age where there's two no, new forms of leverage. And these ones are permissionless, where for people and money, you need to have permission. You need to get the people's permission. There's paying people, there's slave labor. But even if you have slave labor, you got to have enforcers to make the slaves work. So you still need permission, even if you're going to try and force people. So it's a permission-based one, and it's constantly has to be earned. Money, typically don't have the money. People have to give you permission to use their money. But now we have permissionless forms of leverage, which is code and media. You and I are using this interview. We're spending this hour together. We're going to record this. And we could have 300,000 people listen to this hour at their convenience, 24 hours a day, seven days a week. I still get downloads from interviews I did in 2015. So this is a right. form of leverage where we're taking the time that we have and maximizing our output. And then the other form of leverage is code or robots. Code is essentially a robot. It's just ones and zeros stored in a computer. So you literally, people have to understand they could have an army of 10,000 robots at their disposal. And what are you going to have them do? How are you going to organize that code? We talked a lot about things like paid advertising online and even SEO are forms of code. People are doing searches 24 hours a day, seven days a week online. But if you're an international business, your website, it's a software tool. It's there 24 hours a day, seven days a week. So I'm not prescribing anything to anyone, but I just, that's what I heard from you that you have to work hard, but you also have to work smart. You have to plan your energy and you almost to, to maintain this life balance. It's important to have those constraints because it forces you to innovate, yeah. to achieve the same or more with the same resources that you got. And I just think that's super, super powerful. Nicole, you have been so giving. I've got a couple of pages of notes here. People may want to listen to this more than once, make sure they got everything out of the call. Have a, is there anything I should have asked you that I haven't asked you? Oh my gosh, what a question. I don't know. Ultimately, I just feel that the most important thing that I can really share with your audience is that focus on the things that light you up inside. Do the things that get you excited because each and every one of us has a mighty purpose that lives inside of us. Mm -hmm. You have desires that were placed into your heart for a reason. So if there's something you want to do, you're meant to do it. And mm. to do it. And when you follow the things that light you up, you light up the world without even trying. And I think it's just so beautiful. And people just navigate to that. They feel that energy. If you find yourself at any time in your life where you just feel stuck or you're not happy or something just isn't working, I call it take the happiness test. Am I happy in this area of my life? Am I happy in that area of my life, et cetera? Mm. The answer is no. Then there's just an opportunity there for right. you to create a little shift. It could be a little shift. It could be a giant shift. It could be that you're completely going to jump ship to do something else, but life is just too short to stay stuck. 
Mm. in whatever you're stuck in. And just know that you have the ability to gain something so powerful if you can just look at your life and go, okay, you know what? Maybe this is where I want to be awesome. Maybe this isn't. If you know what you don't like, that's going to start pointing you to where you, what you do. And just mm-hmm. follow that and allow yourself to be guided to do things that light you up and get you mm-hmm. excited. Because that's when you're going to call in your tribe. And that's when you're going to really start getting inspired and all the great things are going to start coming to you. And you can just tap into that intuition and man, a whole world of magic just starts to open up. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's a powerful message because no one is an island and we all work with other people. So the things that you aren't passionate about, you need to find people that are passionate about it and together you will accomplish more. So Nicole, (laughs) yeah. If people want to learn more, if they want to find out more, where should they go? Oh, wonderful. You can always go to our website, which is balancebynature.com. And you can learn about our corporate wholeness programs. And we are going to be opening that up to the public here soon, which is pretty exciting. You can follow me on Instagram at Nicole Mixdorf. You can also connect with me on LinkedIn. I'm pretty regularly posting in there too. So those are probably the biggest ways to connect. So I look forward to having inspired conversations. Perfect. So go check out Nicole Mixdorf, M-I-X- D-O-R-F on Instagram and LinkedIn. You know, you found her if she's listed with Balance by Nature. And you can also go check out balancebynature.com. Nicole, thank you so much for coming and sharing with us. I know you got your own following, your own staff, your own things you can be doing. Thank you so much for coming and sharing with me and my audience so we can all have a little more life balance. Awesome. Thanks so much for having me.